So how many of you have ever heard of this phrase? Langorous Lees. <laughs> Good. Mission accomplished. Okay. So this lesson is called Langorous Lees. And I, and I picked this one for a reason. I picked this, uh, this lesson and this lesson title because I didn't want you to forget it. So hopefully this will help out. Because I have never heard of this phrase before. And it was one of those things where I'm like, you know what? This will be a great way to remember it. So, so how this really came about is that um, I really feel like that tonight we need to take a time out and we really need to evaluate ourselves and our ministry. Um, this time of year, especially, I've noticed uh, just through the years of youth ministry, this time of year, really, uh, things begin to slow down. You know, you have the typical pattern of youth ministry where... You know, if you wanted to, to kickstart it and say, all right, summer camp. Summer camp is like the peak. And what I feel like happens over the years is that at summer camp, everyone comes and they're always moved by the message for the most part. A lot of people are moved by the messages. They're moved by what we're doing together, by the singing, by the praying, by doing devotions, by just hearing other people struggle with stuff and you identifying with them. And it's very easy for us to really be very sensitive to how God is wanting you to be more obedient. Would you agree? It's very easy. So coming out of that and into the summer, there are certain commitments that we make. And that's why at the end of summer camp, we talk about here's our commitments. This is what God taught me. And now this is what I practically am committing to do. And then you hit the rest of the summer and momentum begins to fade a little bit. But then once school starts and you start getting into the routines of the homework that you have to do, the chores you got to do at home. Some of you are working now. Some of you are doing sports. And you combine all those things. It's almost like God and the commitments just go completely out the window or at least it's severely diminished and it's just not much of a priority so you hit september october november and it's like Bleh. and there's just a struggle when it comes to reading the bible evangelizing keeping spiritual things the priority um it's just it's just harder would you guys agree with me on that yeah. okay so i feel like we're kind of at that spot and I don't think it's a coincidence either that we have an outreach opportunity in the next couple weeks. And I really have felt that with all the stuff that's going on, I feel like with a lot of the outreach Bible studies and maybe even the time you guys are spending with each other, it's more just like, um, I don't know, best described by a sound. <laughs> I just feel like things are kind of like, it's a little bit of a dud. And I feel like that we really need to revisit, reevaluate, and look at some things to refocus because you guys have an incredible opportunity with the outreach Bible study here in the next couple weeks to really reach out to your friends and to make a huge impact. And I feel like the enemy is capitalizing on your flesh. It's capitalizing on our culture. It's capitalizing on your laziness. It's capitalizing on your busyness in order to stop you from progressing where he wants you to be. So ironically, I was reading uh, in my, uh, my reading routine that I have on a daily basis, and I came across the passage, and it like, I mean, it hit me. It hit me so hard, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is it. We've got to talk about this. We've got to take a break from talking about how to study the Bible, and we've got to talk about this. So turn to Jeremiah 48. 
Jeremiah 48. So it's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. It's right after Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah. So right smack dab in the middle of your Bible, a little bit to the left, and you'll hit Jeremiah and then go to chapter 48. And if you're having a hard time finding that one, it's right next to 47 and 49. Okay? You're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. I try to do the best I can to help you find things in the Bible. All right. So Jeremiah 48, and the verse that hit me, really it's three verses, but there's one verse that is the focus, and that would be verse 11, but we're going to need verse 11, 12, and 13. So somebody read for me 11, 12, and 13. Who wants it? Ben, you want it? Yes, he does. Okay, all right. He raised his hand first, so there you go. Lord hath been at ease from his youth, and he hath settled on his lease and hath not been emptied from vessel to vessel, neither hath he gone into captivity. Therefore his taste remained in him, and his scent is not changed. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send unto him wanderers, that shall cause him to wander, and shall empty his vessels and break their bottles. And Moab shall be ashamed of... Chemosh. Chemosh, at the house of Israel was... As the house of Israel was ashamed of Bethel, there come. Okay, so we'll talk about 12 and 13, but 11 is really the focus. Moab hath been at ease from his youth, and he has settled on his leaves, and hath not been emptied from vessel to vessel, neither hath he gone into captivity, therefore his taste remained in him, and his scent is not changed. Now, I don't know if you've read that verse before, and you're like, what? Like, when I read a verse like that, I'm like, okay, what's going on here? The way this is worded, the, all these things putting, put in, packed into this verse, there's something here that God's wanting to communicate and it really stood out to me. So I stopped myself and I, and I got into it. So the first thing that we need to understand here from this verse is it says, I mean, we get it, Moab hath been at ease from his youth. So he's lazy. His youthfulness has made him lazy. He's not doing anything. And that has led to him settling on his lees. Now, if you were to give a shot and say lees, anybody have an idea of what lees are? I'm not talking about Lee Chudis's. <laughs> no, 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 I'll beat you to the punch. What are Lee's? He had settled on his Lee's. Isaac. Good guess. Most people guess that. That is incorrect. Rear end. Bucket. <laughs> trying to keep a G. Come on, Bob. You can't say button here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Good. Knees. No. But good guess. <laughs> Lee's knees. <laughs> yeah. What do you got? This is a shot in the dark, but like riches or comforts? No, but not a bad guess. Is bad? No. Is it time out? Is it a body part or is it something? <laughs> well, okay. It's a something. Yeah. What do you got? Oh, okay. I have. Is this flesh? No. That's no. Hard. Okay. I'll give you an example. All right. Okay. Is a chemical reaction? No. This is not a chemical reaction. All right. How many of you ever made your own Italian dressing before? No. You haven't? It's really easy. Super easy. This one is among our favorites as far as Italian dressing is concerned. To make your own salad dressing? It can be. Just got to buy it at the store. Got it at Acme. No big. Acme. All right. So here's what I need. All right. I am going to do, let's see here. 
Okay. All right. So to make salad dressing, and this one's very simple. Good seasoned Italian is like the best. It's so good. All right. So I come in here and this little thing has a little handy dandy measurement thing on it. So that way you can figure out how much you're doing. So you just need a little bit of vinegar. Okay. And then I need a little bit of water. So I got my vinegar. <laughs> what now? What now? A <laughs> little bit of water. Huh? I'm following the lines. It's right on the side of the bottle. Come on. Olive oil. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Got it. I know. Boom. It's like, what happened? You don't want to know. All right, then we got our oil. It's so pretty. It's so pretty. All right, so we got our oil. So we got our vinegar, we got our water, we got our oil. A little bit of spillage. Not yet. Not yet. Okay, and then you take the good seasons, which is so good. By the way, as a side note, this is also good with like if you're making chicken or, or, or even you can do like noodles. Noodles with a little bit of olive oil is fantastic. So you put in the good stuff. <laughs> Don't worry, people. It's a-okay. Make sure the lid is snapped properly. I'm going to need some paper towels. I know. I'm going to need some paper towels if we have any back there. All right. Okay, so we got all of our ingredients, right? All right. So then I'm going to shake the bad boy up. Shake that bad boy. It tastes excellent. Excellent. Yeah, it's really, really good. Okay. This was like a little excess, but all right. Okay. Oh, I'm trying not to. It's just preventative. Okay. All right. So then you have the world's one of the world's best salad dressings right here. Okay. Now over time. This is going to settle, and so throughout the lesson, you're going to see that the uh, sediment from the Italian dressing is going to settle down at the very, very bottom, which is normal because the water begins to separate from the oil, and then you have the ingredients, and everything will just eventually settle down at the bottom. So I'm going to leave it over here. But this process of whatever you'd make, this whole concoction, and then over time, it's settling. The portion that settles down at the bottom is called the lees. So, in, when it came to Israel and it came to during this time when this was written in Jeremiah 48, 48 they correlated it to a barrel of wine. So, anytime that you'd have new wine and you would put the new wine, the grape juice, into the barrel, and that barrel would sit, over time, the sediment from that wine, from that grape juice, would end up settling at the very, very bottom. Now, if you've ever done it, and you can already start to see a little bit, it's starting to settle a little bit. So you have the bigger chunks down at the bottom, and there's now a separation here. And over time, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. But how many of you have ever taken Italian dressing, and instead of shaking it up first, you just open it, 
and you just pour. Or, <laughs> yeah, I've done that, it's pretty disgusting. It's gross. Or, if you have a bottle of mustard or ketchup that you haven't shook, and you open it, and it goes <laughs> It's just really, really bad. Okay, so the whole point is that, that that concoction, whether it's mustard, ketchup, Italian dressing, and again, it's starting to settle even more. You can see it. It's starting to settle even more now. The more it settles, and then you end up pouring out whatever's on top, you're not getting the full mixture of what's going on here. Okay? So when it talks about Moab, hath been at ease from his youth, and he has settled on his lees. That's what it's talking about. The sediment, the sludge, the dregs, the lees. That's the part of the bottom that's super, super gross. And so before, they would take that container and they would pour it into smaller vessels or other containers like it. They would have to take that whole barrel and they'd have to pick it up and do what? They'd have to shake it. Shake it, get it completely mixed, and then they could pour it. Because if you don't do it, now you're, you're, the whole thing that you pour into another vessel would be, it'd have a completely different ratio. It would be disgusting. It would be almost good for nothing. So that's the picture. Got it so far? Okay. So... It says, Moab hath been at ease from his youth and has settled on his lees and hath not been emptied from vessel to vessel. So he's content. He's sitting there. The sediment has settled at the bottom. He has these lees that's from being languorous or lazy. He is now at ease and he's not been emptied from vessel to vessel. Neither hath he gone into captivity. Therefore, his taste remain in him, and his scent is not changed. And what's interesting about this whole thing of being in the captivity is captivity is a thing that's not comfortable. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Like, Israel did not want to go into captivity. When something bad happens in your life that's out of your control, that you really don't enjoy, it's a form of captivity. It's probably the closest thing we can identify with. So when you're in captivity, you're not comfortable. Your life is completely shooken up. You are, you're shook up completely, everything is unsettled, and now you want to kind of go back to th how things are settled in your life. So, neither had they gone into captivity, so he's not shooken up. Therefore, his taste remained in him, and his scent is not changed. And he's good for nothing. He's absolutely good for nothing. And then that's where it leads into verse 12. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send unto him wanderers, that shall cause him to wander, and shall empty his vessels and break their bottles. So if they are not willing to be shooken up and to repent and to do what's right, God's going to send someone to, to them that's going to cause them to wander. And in their wandering, their vessels are going to be emptied, and their bottles are going to be broken, and they're not going to be able to do anything. And Moab shall be ashamed of Chamosh. Now, Chamosh was the false god that they worshipped in the land of, of Moab, the people of Moab. That's who they worshipped. And as the house of Israel was ashamed of Bethel, their confidence. So Israel was known throughout the Old Testament for going aside, away from God, to other gods and trusting in them. And so Moab trusted in another god, a false god, that could not save them. And because of that, it caused them to be settled on their lees. And of course, they're not going to be emptied from vessel to vessel. Now, when I saw this, I'm like, oh my word. I feel like this is exactly where you guys are at, where I'm at, and we need to be shooken up a little bit. We've got to. Or else it's going to turn into one of these scenarios where, again, you can start to see it. There's more separation. You've got the stuff on the bottom. you got more of the oil coming up to the top. And this stuff is now settling. And over time, it's going to be good for absolutely nothing. So if we sit still and we're not doing anything, 
you are going to become settled on your lees. And then once you try to pour whatever's here into another vessel, it's not going to be good for anything. It's going to be gross and disgusting. So you need to be in a constant state of... Yes. To be shook up. Shaken up. Shook up. Shook up. Shook up. Shook up. Yeah. All right. So I think there's three things. There's three things out of this that I think we can take with us. And there's three things that I believe, frankly, are lies that we tell ourselves where we just say, stay, we stay still. We stay content where we're at. We don't really want our lives to be shaken up. We don't. And that's wrong. As Christians, as born-again believers, as people that are trying to worship God and for God to be glorified in your life, your life should be shaken every single day. Every single day. And yet we get into these routines and these ruts where we allow ourselves to become settled and then the sludge just comes down to the bottom and then we're not good for anything. And you don't even want to pour yourself out into another person at all, whether it's through evangelism or in discipleship, because you don't have anything good to give. But when God comes into your life and just goes, two things happen. Either people run from God or true believers that belong to the Lord, when their life gets just roughed up and they're now shook, once that happens, they lean upon the Lord more and more and more. And they learn things that they would have never learned otherwise. And now God is adding things to their life and now they can invest into other people. The greatest moments of my life have been my worst. The greatest moments of my life where I have learned the most about myself, about God, about spiritual truths, about, I mean, have been my failures. My worst days have been turned into some of my best days. Now, I don't want to go back to them again. (laughs) I do not. But the things that I learned from them, they are the things that keep me going. And they are the things that help keep me faithful. So, we'll come down to what our choice is going to be at the end. But I think there's three lies that we tell ourselves that... It it allows us to be in the situation where we are just settled. So the first lie is this. I think the first lie that we tell ourselves is sin won't have consequences. Sin will not have consequences. We've somehow convinced ourselves that sin won't have any consequences. We'll just completely get away with it. And the thing about it is, is that's never true. But in the moment, it can feel like it. And I'll tell you why. There's really two things. I need um, uh, two volunteers to look up verses. All right, Isaac, you can take... Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, oh, verses? Forget it. I'm out. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, so, Carson, go ahead and take uh, Zephaniah 112. And you want the other one? Yeah. Okay, all right, all right. Ecclesiastes 8.11. But it's very easy for us in the moment, in the moment, for us to partake in sinful behavior, things that displease God, and it's very easy for us to think that that moment or those actions or those results are not going to affect us in some way, shape, or form. And there's a couple reasons for it. The first one is Zephaniah 112. You there yet? No. It's, they can struggle. Um, there we go. Before and now. <laughs> and it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with candles and, pu- and punish the men that are settled on their leaves that say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. Okay. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men that are settled on their leaves. There it is again. And here's where it has a colon, which means he's going to explain more. The men that are, that are settled on their leaves that say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. God's not going to do anything. When you really don't think that God's going to do anything, then you're not going to do anything about it. 
Like if you actually think for a moment that you're going to get away with whatever it is, then why would you change? We don't. And so I think for a lot of us, we stay in sinful behavior, sinful patterns, sinful practices because we pretend that God doesn't see and that he's not going to do anything if he does see it. And that is wrong. Because that is absolutely not true. So we lie to ourselves in order to make that true. Read Ecclesiastes 8.11. Um, because sentence against evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of sons of men, of the sons of men, is fully set in them to do evil. All right, do it one more time. Listen carefully. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Did you get that one? So because a sentence or a judgment against an evil work is not executed speedily, doesn't happen immediately, right away, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. If people knew that the moment that they sinned, that God would send fire down from heaven and just wipe them out, I'm willing to bet that they probably wouldn't do it. Just, just, just guessing. I'm just guessing. And honestly, you can see that in pattern in societies because, you know, places like if you go over to like Singapore or Hong Kong and, and you, you actually study out some of their just the civil disobedience that they have there. It's very, very minimal because the moment something happens, the consequence is so severe and so sudden and so hard that no one wants to do it. So no, people don't spit on the street. They don't litter. They don't spit their gum out on the sidewalk. They don't disrespect the police officers. They don't, they don't do any of that because if they did, their hands get chopped off almost immediately. Those things are legit. And so when you come into a scenario like that, it's like, okay, well, I better watch myself. But yet you live in a society like ours today, especially in the culture that we're in today, where you have leaders of local governments that are encouraging police officers to not enforce law. And if police officers are not enforcing the law, how much more do you think people are going to get away with? And that's why you've been seeing all the rioting and everything that we've seen over the course of the last couple of months. And it's the same with us when it comes to God. Because, because we think, well, the judgment isn't executed speedily, then I'm just going to go ahead and do it because it's probably not going to happen. That's wrong. That's wrong. Go to Psalm chapter 50. I want you to see this one. Psalm chapter 50. Take a look at this. This is one of those verses that every time I read it, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> whoa. Causes me to put the brakes on a bit. Psalm chapter 50. Verse 20. Um, let's see here. All right, 21. So God has, is, uh, is in here as the judgment, and it talks about how fire is going to come before him and devour. And then it says in verse 21, These things hast thou done, and I kept silent. So God's speaking to the people, and he says, You've done these things that have been offensive to me, but yet I stayed quiet. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such as one as thyself. But I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me, and to him that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. Okay. Like there's certain spots in the Bible where it's like, oh, all right. I mean, God has shown himself. 
But this is his attitude. God despises when people think that he doesn't know what's going on, that he's not in control, that he's somehow not going to speedily execute judgment. And so we need to remember who God is. That's why he says, now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. God could do that at any moment. Frankly, that's what all of us deserve because of our sin. And yet God is very good to us. And that's why I love Romans 2, 3 through 6, where it talks about, it says this, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, because you're a hypocrite, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impotent heart treasurest up unto thyself a wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. See, the reason why God is patient and the reason why a lot of times he stays silent in your life is because he's being good to you. When God doesn't execute judgment and he does not give you what you deserve, it's because he's being good to you. His goodness in holding back his wrath is an act of mercy and graciousness showed toward you to give you room to repent. The moment you sin, you deserve to be judged immediately, right away, and harshly. But God doesn't do that because He's being very, very good to you. And He's wanting you to repent. He's giving you space to make it right. That's incredible. And yet many of us take advantage of the space that God gives us to continue in sin. And we ought not. So I think that's the first lie that we tell ourselves. Sin's not going to have consequences. And you better believe that it will. Now, your sin can be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, and that's an incredible thing, and everyone should take advantage of it. But I think sometimes we stay where we're at just because we think we're not going to, or there's not going to be any consequences for our sin. Here's the second lie selfishness isn't a bad thing. Selfishness isn't a bad thing when it is actually one of the worst things you could do. Um, let's go to um, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel chapter 16. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Ezekiel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel 16. All right, Ezekiel 16. Now, in this context, I love this chapter. It's a very powerful chapter. It's a great one to read. Um, Israel was cast out. No one cared for Israel. God took Israel unto himself and made her beautiful and cleaned her up and made her gorgeous. And then she ran out on God and literally, according to this chapter, played the whore with all the nations of the world against God. And so God is now judging her and, and really rebuking her. And so he brings this in that context. In chapter 16, verse 49. It says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty or prideful, and arrogant, and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. So he's rebuking them, and he actually says, Israel, you're worse. Israel, you're worse than Sodom. And I'll lay out for you what the sins of Sodom were. And I love how God does this. Pride, they only think about themselves. They don't think about anybody else. They don't consider anyone else. They're only thinking about them, their life, their needs, their wants, and no one else. And what comes right after that? Fullness of bread. 
They hoard to themselves the things that they need and they're not considering what anyone else needs because they're only thinking about themselves. And so they're full of bread. And then the third thing, abundance of idleness. Abundance of idleness. A whole lot of me time. I think that we need to be careful in our culture, especially with the busy schedules that some of you guys keep, that you guys can get so, 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 so busy with a lot of things. You're like, oh my gosh, I just need some me time. Be careful. Because that can be a very slippery slope down a path towards an abundance of idleness that will lead you into a lot of different sins in your life. So pride talks about fullness of bread, that you have no need of anything because your needs are completely met, and abundance of idleness. And then it leads to the last part of that verse, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. There were people that were poor and needy around Sodom, and she didn't care. People needed things, she had them, and she didn't care. She only cared about herself. Sin has a way of making us completely numb to the things around us. And there's two more places. Let's go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And while you guys are turning there, I want to share another verse with you. So Luke chapter 12. It made me think as I was doing some cross-referencing, I hit some verses in Genesis talking about Lot. And Lot, as you know the story of Lot, um, Lot and Abraham, they were very close and their family. And there came a day where Lot's herdmen and Lot's substance and Abraham's herdmen and, and Abraham's substance, it was too much for them to be together. There's too many conflicts that were happening. So there came a point where they're like, okay, we need to separate one from another. And so Abraham's like, all right, Lot, you can do whatever you want. You can go this direction or you can go that direction. Whichever way you choose, I'll go the other direction. And Lot lifts up his eyes. And where does he look? Sodom. He looks towards Sodom. It says in verse 10 of chapter 13 of Genesis, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. And so he chose to pitch his tent toward Sodom. And you find out later that he didn't just pitch his tent toward Sodom. He ended up living in Sodom, and then he was at the gate as one of the leaders of Sodom. And so here you have a guy who looks at something and says, You know what? That would be a great place. There's a great place of prosperity. My family could grow there. We could be safe and secure. There's a lot of good opportunities. I mean, there's a great school system. There's great opportunities for employment. I mean, I tell you, there's some great, there's some great potential there to even glorify God with what I have. I mean, look, I mean, I could totally, God could, I could go there. I can even witness to this city. I can even evangelize Sodom. This would be a great opportunity. <laughs> all, right, all right. Okay. So you've taken your selfishness of what you really want, what appeals to your flesh, and you've wrapped it under the wrapper of God and then justified your behavior. This happens so many different times when it comes to people with who they date or the college that they choose or the profession that they choose or the friends that they choose or the activities or the things they do in their spare time. Yeah, I can do that because in doing that, I can just, and then they wrap God around it and then they justify their behavior and their decisions. That's exactly what Lot did. But in Luke 12, there's a guy, and I know Bobby taught on this not too long ago, but in Luke 12, there was a guy who was very, very selfish, and he was thinking only about himself, and it wasn't necessarily a bad thing per se, because he was providing for himself and for his household, but in Luke chapter 12, in verse 15, it begins, and he says, and he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not of the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. 
And I will say to my soul, soul, I don't know if you ever talked to yourself, but that's what he did. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Which means he's going to die. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. When you are so focused upon what you want, your plans, your desires, your dreams, your whatever, and it's all about you, 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 you are going to miss it completely. I can't tell you how many times that myself, I've done this, and I've seen other people do this, where their future plans, their decisions they're making, it's all about them. It's all about how it makes them feel. It's all about the, their, their desires, their dreams, their goals. And God is never in the equation. If he is, he's in there in name, only because they feel like they have to or else they'll be even more guilty, but they're not willing to be honest with themselves about it. This guy was doing something where he was like, I need to take care of my stuff. I need to administrate what I have. God has blessed me and I've run out of room and I need more. Okay, fine, whatever. But God's like, you're an idiot. You're a fool. This night, you're going to die. And then all this stuff that you've done, what does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. You're just leaving it to somebody else. And so that's where Jesus says, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, when it comes to God and the things that God wants us to do, God's will for your life requires risk. God's will for your life requires risk. And the currency that you're going to put out there in that risk is yourself. If you really want to do what God wants you to do, then what are the next steps spiritually that you need to take that you are freaked out about? And it can be something super small. But that you know... I know this is what God wants me to do, but I am so stinking nervous about it, and I don't even want to take this next step, and I'm, I'm literally freaking out about it. Awesome. That is exactly what you need to do. Right there. That thing. Whatever it is. I don't care what it is. That is what you need to do. Maybe for some of you, it's the fact that we have this outreach. I know I should be asking people. I just don't want to. I'm freaked out about it. Good. Do it. You know what I'm saying? Because when you're freaked out, guess what you have to do? What do you have to do? You got to shake yourself up. What do you got to do? You got to trust God. What's that? Hide under God, the blanket of God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You need to trust in God. You have to trust him because you don't have the ability to do it. I mean, so many times I have not wanted to talk to somebody because I'm like, oh my gosh, if I say this, how am I going to answer that question? Or what are they going to think of me? Or what is this going to, this is going to make everything. And I'm like, wait a minute, what am I supposed to be doing? Does God want me to do this? Yes. Is it risky? Yes. But if I never take the risk, how do I ever know that I'm actually doing what God wants me to do? In fact, I know for sure I'm not doing what God wants me to do because I'm not willing to take the risk. And I'm telling you, the more risk you take, the better your walk with God's going to be. I'm telling you, it's the truth. You may not like it, but it's the truth. And God will show himself mighty on your behalf. He will. He will. And then here's the third lie. The third lie is this. Sanctifying my life is meaningless. Doing the things of God, being holy, you know, doing whatever God tells me to do, it's just meaningless. It doesn't do anything. Listen to this verse. Turn to Psalm 73. Turn there real quick, and then I'll read a few other verses to you. Psalm 73. 
Sanctifying my life is meaningless. It doesn't do me any good. Psalm 73. All right. Before we do Psalm 73, listen to this one. Psalm 55, verse 19. It says this. Psalm 55, verse 19. God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abideth of old. Selah. And then here's the part of the verse I love. Because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. Because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. They are settled on their lees. They are content where they're at. They're not willing to take a risk. And because of that, they do not fear God. Now, this takes us back to the very, very beginning. When you do not fear God, when you do not fear God, you will not think that he is going to unleash consequences for your sinful behavior. You're not going to. It goes right back to the beginning. So that means if you really want to fear God, if you really want God to use you, you must take a risk. You have to have changes in your life, these changes that are going to honor and glorify God. But if you're not willing to move, if you're going to just stay stationary, settled on your lees, and the sediment's going to go down to the bottom, then you're going to be good for nothing, and then God's going to send you wanderers. It's going to cause you to wander off. And it's going to empty your vessel, and it's going to break your bottle so you can't even fill it up again. Or God can't even fill it up again. That's exactly what's going to happen out of Jeremiah 48. And sometimes we can feel like following God has, has benefited me not at all. Like not at all. Not even in the slightest bit has it benefited me. Psalm 73 is probably the greatest chapter when it comes to this. Look at verse 1. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were altogether almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compassed them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than, their, than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression, they speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore, his people return hither, and waters of, waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily have I cleansed my heart in vain. It's not profited him anything. And washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. Because if I'm going to be honest about it, and I tell them how I feel, then they're going to just rebuke me. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Their end. Then once I understood the end of their life and the end of all the riches of their life, then I was brought back to my senses. That's what he's saying in verse 17. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins because he was convicted. So foolish was I and an ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I I am continually with thee. Thou hast hold me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thine counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. I love this psalm because it's so real. This guy who loved God saw the wicked man. Why are they prospering? Why do things go well for them? Why is it as if they, they, they have anything that they want, that they don't have any problems? And if they do have a problem, money can just buy it. And they can just erase it. It's not fair. That's what this guy is saying. Why am I doing this? Because I'm following God. and following God. My life is a wreck. I mean, I'm convicted all the time because God's telling me that I'm not doing this right. I'm not doing that right. My disciples are on me all the time because they're saying I'm not doing this right. I'm not doing that. I come to church on Sunday morning, on Wednesday nights, and I hear the Bible. And it's like, oh my gosh, I'm an idiot. Man, what good is this doing to me? Okay, this is like as real as it can get. And then he's like, but then I understood their end. When you understand your end and their end, their end, those that do not know God, that do not love God, they're going to be separated from God for all eternity. The only heaven they had was this world. And they lived it to the fullest. And yet for us it's a struggle because we can't see what we're going to have. But once you become convinced of what you're going to have, it makes it much easier to go through anything, literally anything in this world here and now. And that's why this guy said, man, I was convicted. I was convicted. I completely forgot. I forgot. I forgot their end. I forgot mine. I forgot who my God was. I just, I forgot. So that's a lie that we tell ourselves all the time. All the time. So we need to end here. But here's kind of the whole point with Jeremiah. So what are we going to do with this? All right, so there's really two outcomes to this. With Moab settling on his lees, his taste has remained in him, his scent has not changed. When God wants it to change, he wants his scent to be different. And the only thing that's going to make that happen is to take his life and go like this. That's it. He's got to take his life and just shake it up. So there's two things we can do. You can either choose every single day to say, God, here's my bottle. Shake me up. I need you to shake me up. Because if I remain still, I'm just going to crap out for you and I'm not going to do anything. And then I'm going to feel absolutely miserable. Or you're going to stay stationary for so long that God's going to have to come in and he's going to have to just wail on you. That was me at one point. My testimony is I remained still for far too long and God came in and wrecked me. I mean, wrecked me to the point where he took my bottle and he didn't just shake it up. He shook it up, poured it out and put something brand new in and just started shaking it again and then poured it out again, put something in and shook it again. It was rough. It was hard. I never want to go back to that ever again. So either you shake yourself up by giving your bottle to the Lord every single day and allowing him to shake you from the inside out. Or there's going to come a day that you will regret. You will regret. You will regret where God is going to step in, grab you, and just shake you because he loves you so much. That's the only result. I've been thinking a lot about this. It's a perfect time of year to be talking about this. Heading into the rest of your school week with all the crap that's going on in the world today. With the outreach that's coming, winter camp's coming. We need to relight some of our fires. We've got to. We've got to. So I hope this is a help. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time together tonight. I pray that you would uh, literally just help us to um, hold your hand as we walk through this life together. That we would not be settled on our lees. That we would not 
uh, just be content with where we're at, but we would allow you to shake us up completely and make us feel very uncomfortable. In those moments that I don't necessarily like, I have found the greatest sense of refuge in you and I am thankful for them. You've taught me so many things in my life uh, during the worst times of my life. And so every single day, I want you to be able to take my life and just to unsettle me in the areas where I'm getting a little bit too settled. So help me, God. Help us. And help us keep our eyes upon eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's get in there. Let's pray together. 